This week on The Native Immigrants, we'll be discussing Asians in theatre. Are there enough opportunities for the South Asian community in the theatrical world? And if not, how do we get more representation? We'll be joined by Amit Janna, actor and associate director of Rifka Theatre, as he discusses the Rifka productions and its onus on celebrating the British Asian experience. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and many other platforms. And if you write us a little review on iTunes, we'll even mention you on next week's show. The native immigrants are in the building. Hit the music. Salutations and welcome to another episode of The Native Immigrants. I'm your host, Swami Barakas, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jojo underscore B. What's going on, Jojo B? Hello. So I've got to start this show with a bit of a grudging apology for last week. I got a bit of a backlash from a number of people that were slightly uh, irate about me calling my wife, Jojo B, the Geordie gerbil. <laughs> I um, Was it a backlash or were people just repeating it? And so then I was supposed to kick your ass. You, yeah, well, you know, I'm still waiting for that ass kicking. Um, I can't actually lift my legs at the moment, so which I'll explain in a bit. Yes. But uh, yes, once I can, then I will kick that ass. Okay, so up until that point... Might as well take advantage of the fact that she can't do anything. So she's still the Geordie Gerbil. I am in not my the Geordie Gerbil. Shut up. <laughs> the Geordie Gerbil. I was trying to, you know, in that, I was so trying to think. I, well, who are you? What are you? You are the, the London... Southall Stallion, is who I am. <laughs> wow. Do you know what? That just that was literally off the top of my head. And it was the first thing I thought about. The Southall Stallion. Even you couldn't say it with wow. a straight face because. Stallion. No, because I was like, ha. I was like, a, <laughs> um, is what you should be saying more of, to be fair. Um, yeah, that's the, quite quite apt and stuff. Do you know what I mean? You know, because um, I'm a thoroughbred and I'm from West London. So the Southall Stallion. So if, there's a, if there was like a, a race between the Southall Stallion and the Geordie Gerbil, uh, who do you think would come out on top? The tortoise in the hair, innit? I would. Um, yeah. But you've got no legs at the moment anyway. Small, so you even... but perfectly formed. <laughs> um, yeah, subjective. I'm not accepting that I am a gerbil. And I'm definitely not accepting that you are a stallion. Give me, okay, give me okay, give me an alternative then. You are... Not to me. I, I've, I've already got mine. What, what, what would you prefer you rather wish, than... You wish. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Let's just move away from the animal metaphors. Is that the right word? Uh, yeah, sure. Whatever. I'm not an animal, uh, except a human. Which is an animal? Yes, but not, I'm not any other member of the animal kingdom. The worst animal of its kind as Which well. reminds me, the, the, there's a new very cute thing that Bubs does. Right. And when he, when he sees a rhino, because there's pictures of rhinos in his books and stuff, he calls it a, no, 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 no. Yeah. And it's very sweet. Very sweet. Couldn't be any further from what it actually is called. Rhino and no, 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 no. Is that, you kind of know no. what he's on about. 
No, that's a, that's a clear parenting issue, I think, from our side <laughs> in the fact that we're not teaching our child how to correctly say what are relatively easy words. It's we, only two syllables. So the fact that he's put additional five syllables at the end of what he's, what he's calling it himself. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. But we started using the words that he uses so instead of correcting so the words. So wrong. So he has a thing about calling... <laughs> So he watches, he likes to watch all the cars go by from yeah. the window and he uses the word Ia. Yeah. <laughs> what is that, Judge of That's the thing. The worst part is, I'm like, where the fuck are you learning this shit from? Who's teaching you that these are the words? And I'm like, oh, well, it can't be, yeah. Yeah. It's a truck. It's a lorry. Because yeah, I refuse... To, I don't like using the word... I don't like using Americanisms. So I say lorry. And he has now decided that that's an ER. And so now I just go, look, look, there's an ER. There's an ER when I, when I see something out the window. So that's wrong. Yeah, because obviously he's not then going to go into <laughs> like, you know, nursery next year. And these are the words he's going to use. And the worst ER. part is we're just going to be judged from the teachers there. They're going to be like, oh, do you know those parents that, you know are teaching the kids the wrong things and obviously now he's behind you know curriculum wise is there even a curriculum in nursery no i don't think so well okay so he's behind the other kids in his vocab and it's obviously <laughs> going to be down to us for, for messing it up every number is still two yeah because he can't two. he doesn't go he doesn't go past two because <laughs> we try to he doesn't, even, he doesn't even go before two yeah <laughs> every not, number not even is a one. two do you know what I mean? Like, there's always double, like, straight away. <laughs> but it really works, because I was like, how old are you going to be this year? What number will you be? And he went, two. Yeah, we're going to really take advantage of that for the next, <laughs> what, few months. And then that's going to, like, you know, run past itself by date after <laughs> December. So, um, yeah, so... Because no, he'll be two for the whole of next year. Yeah, but he's not going to be two, is it? No, but then I'll just say, how old are you? And then he'll <laughs> say, two. Once they change the answers, we just change the questions. Uh, but anyway, so um, what's been happening, I guess, this week? Well, something's quite monumental happened in Jojo B's life. It's back. Yes. We're not talking about... That announcement that happened this week. Oh, yeah. So two, <laughs> two big things have returned. <laughs> Which is what I thought you were talking both about. Both of like them involving... Monumental. Oh, right, both of okay, them involving yeah. banana bread. Personally me. Um, yes. So for me, my personal monumental moment was uh, the return of Bake Off. Mm. Great British Bake Off is back on our screen. Legitimately, the only reason Jojo B was born uh, to watch this show. And um, <laughs> there's uh, a number of uh, contestants on there. To that we've we already okay so we watched the first episode yeah and we've and identified who we love and who we might potentially hate I'm, I'm assuming people that are into the show would have already watched it if you if you don't watch the great british bake-off and you don't give a shit about it then just forward it on to the second half of the show and, and i'll or talk about no what just forward it on like a couple of minutes come on we're not going to talk about it for the whole I'm not show gonna, i'm not going to talk about it for more than a couple of minutes but this is like your favorite show in the whole world so yeah, you could talk at length about this so i'm just letting people know if they can't be fucked with this show, do not listen to the rest of this half of the show. Listen to the second half. And I'll be telling you all about what's in the second half shortly. So we're just going to forward on, don't you know what is in the second half. Anyway, I think you're not selling the show very well. But Great British Bake Off. 
is a truly great. You're not you're not selling it that well yourself, bro. <laughs> no, I meant the podcast. I'm now talking about the TV show. Right. And I think that Great British Bake Off is a truly great program that marks the it genuinely marked the beginning of autumn. Yeah, sad times. Yeah, because autumn is here now officially. Why are you looking so like like sheepish about that? Because I know autumn how is your favorite time of the I, whole year. I bloody love autumn. I hate it. I love all the seasons. I love the fact that we have seasons. Right, you know, you go to some places and they just don't have seasons. I love seasons. Don't roll your eyes at me. He hates this because he's just like, I just wish it was hot and sunny all I, the time. I want summer all year round. I can't even lie. I hate the winter. I hate the autumn. I can just about tolerate the spring. I only love the summer. Summer's now gone. So I've literally got no purpose. I'd rather just hibernate till next summer. But, you know, someone needs to look after our baby while you watch this program. If so. LA wasn't in America, then I'd say let's go. Oh, just stop fucking digressing. Talk, talk, talk also, to us I'm about really your show. I'm really sorry if you're one of our American listeners, but you've got like loads of shit going on in your country right now. So Talk about Great British Bake Off. All right, fine. Bake Off is back and I love it. And I have, I did. <laughs> so if you haven't watched it, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. One of, my, one of the people that I was rooting for went out in the first show. First show. Yeah. She's from the Northeast. Mm-hmm. And so I had to love her. Yeah. And genuinely, she seemed like a lovely person. Uh, no, she, she seemed like a lovely person. Uh, I fortunately couldn't equate that to her baking skills uh, because she flopped. And so, yeah, um, yeah so unfortunately, Jojo B, yeah, Jojo B is a bit of a jinx. Um, How many jinx is pre recorded? Yeah, but still, isn't it? Your aura basically engulfed uh, the decision-making of that show. Well, so. your favourite was a saboteur. Yeah. Saboteur, even. <laughs> so, well, okay, so saboteur is a bit of a big word. Sabotage. Um, West London sabotage. West London in the building, fam. Uh, shout out to Sura. Sura, yeah. Uh, she was close to being Star Baker this week. Um, but maybe she was um, held back by the forces of nature. Karma got her. Karma may have got her because she did uh, inadvertently uh, knock over somebody else's uh, bakes. Uh, and um, yeah, she showed remorse for it, obviously. Yes. You know, but I can just... Or were they crocodile tears? Ooh, drama. You know what? As soon as it happened, I could almost imagine the the hate that she would have got online, uh, especially from your right-wing... Uh, Bake Off viewer, yes, uh, that would have been very much against the fact that uh, uh, an Islamic lady yeah, has um, thrown um, one of our bakes on the floor. Yes, but she did. <laughs> I did turn around to you at that point and go, "Yes, I'd be crying too. I'd be absolutely mortified if I had ruined someone else's cakes." Yeah, but uh, yes, she did show some remorse. I would like to believe that it wasn't crocodile tears. No, no, absolutely not. But then she smashed it on on the stuff that she made, to be fair. So I will champion her for the rest of this series because she's from West London as well. Um, There's a couple of West London bakers on there. So shout to all the West London Massive. Um, And there's also another Asian baker as well, a guy called Mac from Bolton. Yep. So we're going to be following his um, journey very, very closely. Wasn't very good in the first week. Um, but well, no, he wasn't terrible, but he was kind of middling. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Um, but you know what? I've been in the run up to this. I was re watching the first Channel 4 series 
the one with Liam, who now presents a professional Bake yeah, Off. Yeah. And actually, Liam started really badly. Mm-hmm. And he was like looking like one of those people that like kind of just scraped through. Yeah. And then he just started on this upward trajectory for a little while. Right. So I think... You never know with Mac. Never you never know, know with no, those course, middling people. Of course. All you have to do is basically get through week by week. And if you get through towards the latter weeks, then you're in with the shout. And if anything, the last couple of seasons have been pretty shite in terms of quality, to be fair. What? Well, there was Rahul. Yeah, but come on. Rahul, Rahul we- and Ruby and uh, Anthony all in one, one show. Yeah, but they, like, let's be fair. The quality for Rahul was great at the start. It just got worse and worse week by week and somehow he managed to win it because uh one of the other bakers flopped on that one day and then the, no, and look, then the last Rahul year was, very was a little bit meh as well so really it needs a strong series of quality for me going forward for this season to to be able to compete with the old series the times like nadia where like everyone seemed to be an amazing baker and yet to be so super on the day Whereas now it's kind of like, meh, just get through week by week. And then if you get through to the final three, it's just about who does well on that day. So, um, yeah, a lot remains to be seen for Let's my... See. Well, so there was another person that I was that I will now champion because he decided, and this is very brave, I think, for his very first bake to make something gluten-free. Mm. And it didn't have to be. Yep. He just chose to. And then he smashed it out of the park. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Well done, Peter. Yes. Shout out to him. So, um, and he got Starbaker. He was Starbaker this week. So yeah. I am going to root for him for repping my tribe, mm. the gluten-free types. <laughs> so Tribing. yes, well done. Well done to him. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited. I'm also, new presenter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt Lucas. Yeah. yeah. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I'm not, I've never been his biggest fan. So we'll see. And I miss Andy already, but we'll see. Yeah, it's like presenters and stuff is, is is by the by and stuff. For me, it's more about the contestants and representation. And I'm glad to see that there was a nice ethnic quota reached on that show with a number of people that we can sit there and root behind. I think Bake Off do that pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. But I think most shows, like Apprentice has the same, you know. But Apprentice has the great ethnic cull. Every yeah, year, they're eight, like the ethnics are the first to go. I mean, this has already started on this one as well, to be fair, on Bake Off. So, yes. you know. It well, let's see. They're not usually as bad. Mm. They're not usually as bad, mm. but like Apprentice, nah. Yeah. Like, I just, I mean, you just know every year who's yeah, going to go. That's true. First, the great so. ethnic cull. Well, talking about representation, this is what we're going to speak about on the second half of this show when we talk about South Asians in theatre. Uh, so we spoke a few weeks ago about TV and film and music and even literature as well in that episode about representation. And we didn't really cover theatre and it almost feels like the same way we talked about all this stuff in the first sorry the second show of season one where we talked about representation in tv and film and music and we didn't talk about the books and the literature world and i feel like we've done the same this time round with theatre in the fact that it's a it's a massive platform Mm. uh, for the the creative arts and we didn't talk about it it's one of those performing arts that like unless you go regularly it's not really forefront of your mind but it should be no it should be it's like this is the thing it's a that's that's our fault in that part because um you know we do frequent the theater well we did frequent the theater before obviously having a baby as such um we used to love going to the theater no absolutely like so we've seen quite a few 
like British Asian productions you know, over our time. Um, I, I think the first one I ever saw was um, Bombay Dreams. Yes, standard. Like as, as everyone did. The uh, trip after fi- newly finals finished. We came to London and we went to see Bombay Dreams as one of the things we had to do. Yes, yeah. And that was back in 2002. So that's yeah, a number of years ago. Um, and yeah, since then, we've kind of seen some together as a couple as well. Um, we, I remember we saw Behind the Beautiful Forevers. Yes. Uh, which was a, a great show with Mira Sile in it. And then we've seen a number of shows at the Rifko Theatre as well, which mm-hmm. is uh, a theatre that really um, pushes champions and highlights the British Asian experience in all of their productions. Yeah. And we are lucky enough to be joined by Amit Channa, who is the associate director there, but also an actor that you would absolutely have seen in a number of different film and TV productions. I guess... The most famous would probably be Benedict like Beckham. And EastEnders. And EastEnders. Mm-hmm. He was part of the Ferreira family. Um, and he will be talking about his uh, stint so far at Rifco, including their productions, and how they introduce new ideas and creativity and compelling stories to really push the British Asian community. Yeah, and I think that it would be where we're saying we can't get onto TV... If we have outlets like the theatre, like Rifko, yeah, then that's what we should be pushing for our stories to be told to us. The medium we should be going for, I think, is yeah. probably a lot more accessible. Yes, potentially, um, and we can get more of our stories told that way. Yeah, no, exactly. But we also then have to go and see them. We have no, to go thing. to the theatre. Yeah, absolutely. In better times, obviously, the world at the moment is upside down, so it's difficult at this point. But when life starts to kind of open up and we're a bit easy, it's a bit easier to socialise and go yeah. out to things again, then the theatre should be an art that we, especially because during COVID it's being hit so hard and lots of theatres are in a lot of trouble. Absolutely. That, you know, if we can, when they do open, if we can go and see their productions and we can support them, especially if they're your local theatre, exactly. then, then I think we should. No, absolutely. You know, there's been a number of productions at the Beck Theatre in Hayes, a local theatre to mine. Um, you know, Rifco is basically there in Watford. And I guess like, you know, the, you know, we're talking about representation and how there isn't enough of that in, you know, the, the big theatres in the West End. Um, and so, you know, when someone like Rifco like really like pushes the British Asian community in all of their productions, then we have to go out and support it. Yeah. Because, you know, we're we're asking for representation. And so if they're not going to give us opportunities on those stages, then we'll just make our own. And that's what Rifco have been doing and been doing mm-hmm. really well for a number of years. We spoke about Mushi, which we went to see last year. And it was a glowing review for that in our podcast from last year. So make sure you check that out. Um, and so we'll be talking to Amit about what life's been like in lockdown uh, and how they're going to move forward and push across more about what they're all about. But if you do go to the theatre, please remember your etiquette. Yes. Uh, we have spoken about seeing other Asians at at the theatre and their terrible etiquette. Yes, indeed. And the rudeness that we had to put up with. Yes. But yes. I did not appreciate. Uh, so stay off your phone. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, appreciate the fact that the people are live in front of you who yeah. can hear you exactly. speaking through yeah. their performance. They're doing their job and 
entertaining you and you are still talking through their performance. It's not like the cinema. Yeah, that's that. You can't just get up and walk out and be on the phone basically halfway through the, the yeah. performance and shit. Come on, man. Just rudeness. Yeah, we've seen that a number of occasions. Someone did that at Bennett like Beckham as well when we saw that musical. Another great British Asian uh, theatrical experience that yeah. we shared. Um, so that there, there are opportunities, but they're almost few and far between. We don't have the Alchemy Festival anymore. So a number of productions that we would have seen in the last few years annually are no longer there. Yeah. You know, there may be one production every now and then at the National Theatre or the Queen Elizabeth Hall, but it's, it's still few and far between. So on the other side of this break, we're going to be talking to Amit Channa about Asians in theatre and how we can get more representation within it. See you on the other side, people. Welcome back to the second half of the Native Immigrants. I'm Swami Barakas, and there's no Jojo B. She's decided to um, take it easy, you know, so left me to do all the dirty work, like I pretty much do on a daily basis anyway. So it's, in a way, it's better for me because I get a chance to chat to a friend of mine on a level without her butting in and interfering with all that bullshit as well at the same time. So this guest, um, we had him on our show last year when we went to the London Miller and we got a chance to speak to him and he was hosting that day. We had an amazing chat about his career up to that point. And we've known each other for at least 20 years. Um, we started gigging together back in like 2000, 2001 with Sanjay Sanj and going around the whole of the UK during his gigs. Um, and since that day, uh, one of us has gone around the world and represented our community on stage, screen, television, music, and just become a household name because of it. And the other one is our guest here today, and that is Amit Channa. How's it going, Amit? <laughs> you know what? I was just about to big you up and go, the great thing about music is that you don't have to leave anywhere because music is, is the language, a global language in itself. And then you twisted it. And then you <laughs> twisted it. No, it's good to, good, to, good to hear from you again, brother. I hope no, you as well. A- I hope you and your family are safe uh, and keeping sane in these mad times. Yeah, keeping, keeping sane seems to be the, um, the, 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 at least the, the forefront of our thought processes at the moment, especially now with what looks like even more increased measures yeah, um, yeah, yeah. for um you know for for COVID-19 and so yeah. yeah I wish you and yours all the same as well thank you brother um yeah, you know it's it's difficult times but you know as long as we can all work through it together we can get through to the other side yeah. it feels unscathed. like sanity is on the forefront as opposed to health because health we know how to look after ourselves so that is to stay at home yeah but, uh sanity is a, is a big question at the moment so I mean uh, I hope everyone listening to this is uh Keeping keeping mentally well as well as uh, physically. Physically well. well, I think I think I, I say that with a with a pinch of salt. I think our communities definitely, when it comes to health, especially with our elder community, um, mm. is something that we clearly don't put at the forefront of our priority lines, <laughs> yeah, especially yeah, yeah. with the levels of diabetes and cholesterols um, amongst yeah, our yeah. systems. So this is something that we talk about week in week out on the native immigrants and how we can yeah. improve and progress things going forward. So let's just all help each other out as a collective community, and then we can get through this. Hopefully, fingers crossed, on the other Agreed. side, Agreed. fairly, fairly well, you know. But 
let's talk a little bit more about Amit Janna. Uh, so we spoke on that show about the London Miller, about your career. Um, but what we want to focus on specifically for this episode is the South Asian community in the theatrical world. Now, mm -hmm. you are the associate director at Rifko Theatre, um, mm -hmm. and which is a massive plaudit in itself. People obviously know you from obviously Benedict Beckham and East, EastEnders and all those, you know, years of being involved in, in the television world. Mm -hmm. But what attracted you to working in theatre now? Uh, theatre is where I learnt my craft, bro. Um, I, I started acting when I was about 14. I got an agent by the time I was 14 or 15. And I did some kids TV stuff. And then I did a feature film called Wild West when I was still at school. Wild was West. Big up final. the Southall Massive. Big that up was the actually Southall shot Massive. Just, just like a couple of streets away from my house. Yeah, man. Um, so know. yeah, big up Wild West. And I was still at school then. I was in my final year of GCSEs, you know. So uh, it, it was a strange time because I was trying to balance kind of making sure I do well in my in my uh, exams, but also kind of feeling like I was flying high, being picked up in you know, big shiny Mercedes to go to set at 6.30 in the morning and, you know, and had a chaperone and a tutor on set and all that kind of stuff. So, so for me, I kind of got thrown into it as a, a, a really young age and kind of almost didn't realise what was happening. I just kind of went with the wind. Yeah. And then when, when all of that kind of died down a little bit, I was sort of 18, 19, I was at college in Harrow and I continued to kind of do a little bit of kind of TV and film work. And then while I was there, I started to get offered kind of um, mid to large scale touring theatre jobs. Mm. And I was like, man, what do I know about theatre? Do you know what I mean? I, I, I only know what I used to do at school, you know, when we used to put on Grease and things like that as school productions, Bad. Wizard of Oz. Um, and I didn't go to drama school. So that was, you know, that was a plan. But what happened is I, I sort of took, took the leap of faith and went into a a six week rehearsal process of a huge, uh, what they call a number one tour. So it's the number one theaters around the country yeah. at the big sort of thousand and thousand and a half, 2000 seat theaters. And it was a, a production of uh, Sherlock Holmes and the Crucifer of blood of mm -hmm. which the first part of the show is set in India, the, uh, the, the in Agra. Oh, and wow. it's about four British soldiers that take a sign of blood uh, to protect something or another. I can't remember what it was, but it's an Arthur Conan Doyle. It's an actual Shakespeare, uh, Shakespeare, Sherlock Holmes um, uh, book. Mm. And it was adapted for the stage and it was produced by PW Productions and it was financed by Mobile Oil. Do you remember Mobile? Mobile Oil, wow, yeah, yeah. that's taking it back. Yeah, so every Friday they used to book the theater in whatever city we were in and invite their best customers and business uh, compadres mm. and give them a night of theater and then go to a really lavish kind of five-star, four-course banqueting meal in the evenings every Friday. And then from the cast, four of us were allowed to go each week. You know, we did it on rotation. So I did that tour for about six months. And then I thought, okay, now what? Then I started thinking about going to drama school. Mm. And, and fortunately or unfortunately, the work kept coming. So every time I decided to kind of think about going to drama school, another job would come up and I'd take it. So going back to your question, you know, the, the, the attraction of theatre was simply the fact that I took the leap of faith and then did almost 10 years of touring theatre and learnt my craft on a stage around the country. You know, yeah. uh, I didn't actually make it to drama school. So, so that was my, that was my um, uh, what do they call it, by fire, you know, lesson by fire. I literally just threw yeah, myself yeah, in. And, deep end. Yeah, and immersed myself. And I learned so much about the process of acting. And I was surrounded by really, really experienced actors, mm. uh, you know, uh, all the time who were playing leads in these shows that I had smaller parts in. 
Uh, and then it continued to excel from there. And then I started doing a lot of work at Wharton's Art Center where I discovered the South Asian theater scene, which I didn't even yes. know existed. You know, Waterman's Art Center were putting on comedy nights. One Nation Under a Groove in it was the name of the company. Yeah. People like Nina Wadia, Sanjeev Baska, Nitin Ganatra, um, uh, myself, Parv Bansal, my late great friend, unfortunately, he's no longer with us, who yeah. was an amazing playwright. You know, all of us, Nitin Sawney, you know, he, he, was, he was part and parcel of a thing with Sanjeev called The Secret Asians. You know, that was my introduction to the South Asian theater world. And it yeah. blew my mind. I didn't even know that such a thing existed. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Let me think back at those times. And they were the kind of the pioneers for, you know, that obviously television, but also mm. theatrically as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so many productions have obviously followed on since then. Yeah. Um, but how did you get involved in the Rifko Theatre itself? So going back to the Waterman's days, Pravesh Kumar, who's the founder and artistic director of Rifko, he was in a comedy skit group with Nino Wadia. The two of them were best friends. And they used to do these Bollywood kind of piss takes. I'm allowed to swear, right? Yeah, of course, Um, man. Swear as much as you fucking want. They used to do these kind of Bollywood piss takes and they were little sketches of kind of tongue-in-cheek renditions of recognisable scenes and songs from films. Mm. And then Pravesh and I started to work together. He was an actor. We'd done a couple of shows together. Uh, And then he created this company called Rifko Arts, it was called then. And Rifko at the time stood for Reduced Indian Film Company. Um, uh, and that was the, the kind of joke that he'd put Indian films tongue in cheek on stage. And that's what yeah. his company sort of set out to do. He did a comedy sketch show at uh, Riverside Studios called Airport 2000 in 99. That I went to see. And then in 2000, he wrote and produced a play called Bollywood 2000, Yet Another Love Story, which oh. I played the lead in with Shivani Guy. Um, and that was my introduction to the company. And so over the last 20 years, I mean, that, that company is 20 years old this year. Oh, wow. um, over the last 20 years, I've been closely affiliated with the company, either as an actor in one of their shows or I've uh, um, assistant directed under Pravesh on other productions. I've helped with casting. I've helped with development workshops. And then I've gone back and done a few more shows. I did Happy Birthday Sunita with uh, Shabana Azmi back in 2004. And then we took that to Dubai and India as well. Um, you know, so I've been closely affiliated with the company for 20 years, man, since its inception, pretty much. Wow, that's yeah, it's a long time, um, mm. and it's obviously beginning to bear the fruition of that. Obviously, in the last couple of years, for sure. Mm. Mm. Um, now, Rifko themselves have said that they create productions that celebrate and reflect contemporary British Asian experiences, culture, mm. and society. So. On television, our representation currently in the last couple of years encompasses a lot of negative stereotypes. And this is something that we spoke about with you on our previous show when, uh, yeah. when we spoke about the, the negativity such as forced marriages or terrorism and these kind of things. Mm. Um, with Rifka, how do you guys avoid falling into that trap with your productions? Very, very simply, what we do is we, our USP is that we create shows that are entertaining. Mm. And in amongst that, that sometimes looked down upon term within the arts and snooty people within theatre, they, you know, it, it, the word entertainment is, is a swear word for some people in the arts and in, and, yeah. and in theatre. And what we do is we put on entertaining shows that underlyingly deal with issues within the community or the unspoken or the unheard. What we do is we put on shows that the South Asian, British South Asian diaspora can come and watch identify themselves with what they're seeing on stage, which yes. very rarely happens on stage in, in, in the UK. You know, you could, you, 
you, you, I'd be hard pressed to find a show in the West End where British South Asian could go there and go, oh, I recognize that person or yes. that's me. And that's what we do. We put on shows where the British South Asian diaspora can go there and go, I recognize that person. That's my mum. That's my aunt. That's my uncle. That's my next door neighbor. Or that's me. And that's what we do. Uh, we don't we don't push messages down people's throats. We don't deal with harsh realities by being didactic. We deal with everyday issues within the community and beyond or living yeah. in this country through entertainment. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and like, see, with your productions, um, what, what are you guys looking for in new productions? And, and how challenging is it to find compelling stories for Rifka Productions as well? That's a really good question, man. Um, uh, looking for, I think, is one of three things. We make sure that the voice is authentically British South Asian. That's yes. the first thing we do. So whoever's writing it or is involved in it has to come from an authentic voice of a, of a British Asian background. Uh, secondly, it has to be entertaining. Yes, That's going back to what I just said. It has to be an evening. of People have to come to the theatre and enjoy themselves, right? Of course. Um, and the other is, is, of course, saleability. We have to look at the fact that will people come and watch this? Ultimately, we might be subsidised and funded by the Arts Council, but we're still running a business and we have to stay afloat. And because the company's been run like that by Pravesh for the last 20 years, we were managed to stay alive in this madness that we're in at the moment of the yeah, pandemic. Of so many theatres, buildings, companies are shutting down on a daily basis. And because we've made sure that our shows not only make entertainment sense, but they also make business sense as well. And that mm. starts from the title. You know, writers come along with plays that are great ideas with a title that I go, you know, we look at each other and go, I wouldn't go and see that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, of course, of course. So the first thing has to be A, the title, and B, the image. And who are you selling to? And those are the three things that we look for. Make sure that it's entertaining, that it's authentically British Asian voice that we're giving a platform to, and that it makes business sense. No, yeah, 100%. Um, and I think that's one, one of the great things about Rifco is, you know, families can come out all in mass, basically, to yeah. watch these productions. It's catered yeah. for each of the generations, which is very, very important because we must lose that you know, that in touch with our, with our elder community as well as the mm. youngsters amongst our community. Whereas mm. you can go for the whole experience when watching a Rifko Theatre production. Yeah. Um, and so, we also but, want to create intergenerational dialogue, right? Because of course. there's whole generations that don't know what, what journey their parents or their grandparents went on. Yes. You know, there are companies that tell the, 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 the immigration story, the immigrant story, as in, you know, the struggles of, of leaving Africa or India and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But what, what we do is specifically is that we tell, like I said, you know, British, British Asian stories that are, that are um, relatable across the board, not just to Asian audiences. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing. We create intergenerational dialogue because there's so many things that the younger kids or even the older parents don't know about the younger kids and vice versa. Of course. Um, and that's what we try to do. Yeah, no, it is fantastic. Um, and that's the one great thing about Rifka. Obviously, it's, you know, it's, it's motif is almost based around the British Asian community and the British Asian experience. Yeah. Um, um, but if we, if we almost take Rifka out of the equation now and we look <laughs> at the South Asian representation across theatre in general in the UK. Yeah. Um, you know, over the years, I've probably watched a, a number of productions, probably in like the Alchemy Festival, you know, things happening the, within the, the National Theatre. But obviously it's been, it's been few and far between over the last kind of decade to 20 years. Mm -hmm. uh, where are the opportunities for South Asians in theatre productions, uh, on or off stage, you know, in front of the stage and behind it? Um, it's interesting, right? Because 
you know, we've had meetings, Pravesh and I recently, just before the lockdown, actually, we had meetings with artistic directors of really, really well-known, big buildings in this country. Uh, and I won't mention names. Yeah. But, you know, they, they, there's been elements of them coming to us now going, how do you do what you do? How do you get mm. that audience in? And why are they not coming to our theatres? Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's again, it comes down to who are you programming for? Do you know what I mean? You have to understand, we know clearly who our audience is yeah. um, and not just for each production, but our core audience. That doesn't mean that other people are not welcome or they won't relate, but we know who our target audience is. Yeah. And I think some of the bigger buildings, some of the bigger theatres in this country, what they do is they put on, they put, again, they know their audience. So they, they'll pick a play that will bring in their core audience, which is generally white middle-class people. Yes. of a certain ilk of a certain income or a certain background because they are the bums on seats for those buildings. Mm -hmm. But then when you're doing that, going back to what I said, right at the beginning, people like you and me don't identify with those characters on the stage. Yes. So we may choose not to go and see it. Mm -hmm. And I think it comes down to programming and that's, that's where the opportunities will lie. The opportunities lie in buildings, opening up their portfolio and looking for writers of different backgrounds and going, you know what, we can still put on a play like Rifko does or, or a play that Rif or co-produce a play with Rifko, get their audience and still entice our regular audience. And I think yeah. that's where the opportunity will come. And it's happening. You know, we are in conversations with those buildings now and it might not be for a year, two years, three years, because we want to plant the seed and make sure that the work that we do with those companies is, is, is thought out rather than going, Oh, we've got a play in this top drawer here. Just put this on. Yeah. You know, it has to be created with that building and their audience in mind also. Yeah, no, hundred um, percent. So let's let's talk about your last production. Let's talk about Mushi. Yeah, um, you know. So we I went to see it last year. I put on a glowing review for it as well for the you podcast. Did, thank you. Uh, it was no, this time last year, man. Wow, was, a whole year has gone. My press days. press night was on the tenth of September. It's my daughter's birthday. Wow, a year ago. So ten days ago was a year ago that that play opened. Wow. Okay. So let's look, let's reflect back on that. It's been a year since that play came out. Yeah. What's what overall, what was the experience like for you um, and the whole process behind it? Uh, and obviously it went to tour as well across the UK. Yeah. How was that all for you? Uh, I can make it flowery, man, because I could say it was, you know, game changing and all that. And I'll tell you in a really simple, succinct sentence that producing, being part of producing that play and directing it, made me come to a realization that all these past 30 years have been building to that moment. Amazing. And, and, and I'll tell you why, because there's, there was a couple, one of the reasons why I chose to step back from acting and become an associate director is, at Rifco is because I was getting really unchallenged or actually unbothered by the work that was on offer, mm. you know, and I was kind of like, well, this is not stimulating. I don't want to go and do an episode of X, Y, Z. Again, I won't mention any <laughs> shows themselves, but you know, I don't want to go and read three lines in a hospital drama. You know, I've, I've been there. I've done that. Yeah. Um, so I was like, what's next? And actually when the opportunity arose to go and become associate director at Rifka, I grabbed it. Cause I was like, now I've got the chance to create work that I wish is and was around when I was a young actor. Mm. And that there is the ultimate achievement and realization. I got full circle of, of directing Mushy. Wow. Well, wow. so so would you feel that you almost had more satisfaction from the directing aspect of obviously theatre work rather than your television and acting career? 
In the last few years, yeah, definitely. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't, you know, I, I'm, I'm sort of in my 30th year as a professional actor now. No way. And all of that tool bag, that toolkit that I created over 30 years came in use of every job I ever did and every director I ever worked with and every lighting designer I met and every actor I worked with and every acknowledgement of why a director asks you to stand somewhere when you're saying that line or, you know, the reason why that scene was directed a certain way. It, that tool bag came in absolute use of those four weeks rehearsals and that two and a half month tour of that show. Amazing. No, it, like I said, it was a, a, an awesome production and, um, and it, it was great because obviously a lot of my contemporaries and friends were obviously involved in it as well with Neeraj and Rax and stuff. So mm. there, was a, there was a whole like collective with, you know, a, a crew of us based that used to always be out and about the same places getting trashed and hammered on mm. nights out across the week. And now it's like, you know, there's, there's theatre productions, you know, that have involved some of the best writers, uh, director yourself, Neeraj doing the music and stuff like that. It was, yeah, it was a nice coming together moment, especially with everyone that was there as well during the press night. So, um, yeah. yeah, it's a great combination of a lot of hard work um, and dedication to... And that's, another, and that's, that's, a, that's another goal, uh, Swami. That's another goal. The, the goal is to take people through with you. you yeah. know, it's not to close the door behind you and go, okay, I'm here now. You know, because hmm. you can't, you can't make a theater. Let me tell you, making a theater show is one of the most satisfyingly collaborative processes you will ever be part of. Yeah. Because on day one of rehearsal, everyone is on the same page. Yes. It's not like shooting a film where you could turn up three weeks into filming and you're shooting page 25. Whereas the last time you turned up, you were shooting page 97. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, and then in between that, they've shot 20 other pages of the film that you know nothing about. Hmm. theater you walk in on the first day of rehearsal and everyone involved in that show is in that room and they all sit down together and you read the script together so yes. from the lighting designer to the production company to the people that are going to build your set to the people that are, are stage managers to the people that commission the play in the first place to the artistic director of the company or the theaters that you're visiting across the country yeah so even course. when you're on tour the artistic director of those venues come to the first day of rehearsal to hear the play read by actors for the very first time and so you all start at page one and then yeah. you're all on this journey of four to six weeks, whatever it is that you're lucky to get. I had three weeks rehearsal for that show, you know, um, and it is the most satisfyingly collaborative process one can ever be part of. And if you could take people that have been either with you or you've admired or you've watched from a distance or you've worked with before on that journey with you, again, it's that thing of like this, we made history with Mushi, not, not just because of, what the play was about or who it was set around. It was the first time that four young Asian men put a musical together. Mm. It was me directing, Pravesh writing, Niraj did the music and Rackstar wrote the lyrics. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Four British Asian men that grew up in this country. It's fantastic. Put on a musical that toured this country, you know? And so it's about, it's about taking people through with you for me, man. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, if we, if we can't inspire and, and especially the people amongst us and around us, um, then we're just, we're just halting progression. And yeah. with a place such as Mushy, it's, it's showing progress. And what we want now is to see more of those kind of productions and see Definitely. more of that. Uh, so, okay. So let's, let's look at this in, like, in a dream-like scenario. Mm. If you had an unlimited budget at Rifco, so that <laughs> money is no object, what would be your dream project? What would be your dream production for Rifko Theatre? 
you know, you won't believe it, Swami, that when I interviewed for the job, because I had to interview and I went through the process just like everybody else, even yeah, though I spent 20 years with the company. Yeah, exactly. Where's the love? Um, yeah, where's the love? <laughs> uh, that was one of the questions they asked me. Oh, wow. Okay. It was really weird. That was one of my interview questions. And what I said was, if I didn't have to look at the bottom line of a budget, I would put together one of the biggest spectacle extravaganzas of the British Asian music scene. Oh, wow. Um, okay. It would be a kind of street hip hop, bangra, rap, musical, fused together and talk about your journey, my journey, you yeah. know, next door neighbor's journey. Just it would be a youth movement musical I would put together. Uh, based on the 30, 40, 30 odd years that I've been around British Asian urban music. And that includes Bangra and that includes yeah. remixes and it includes hip hop and it includes Desi beats and all of that. Maybe not so much Bollywood because that was, it's almost like a hangover of our parents. Oh, I guess. Of course. Yeah. Definitely. Um, but you know, culturally, although it was important as a family unit, it didn't really kind of uh, pave the way for our journey. Although influences is in the music that we've created together over the last 30 years. Mm. But yeah, that would be my, that would be my limitless budget production of an urban British Asian urban youth musical. Wow. Okay. So would you, would you want to be starring in it or would you prefer to do the direction in it? No, no, no. I'd love to be. Yeah. I mean, look, if I was 20 years younger, yeah, but there's people out there that deserve You still that look job. 20 young, you bastard. Allow it's, yourself, fam. <laughs> it's even not even about looking. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's not even about looking. It's about stamina, man. Those things take energy yeah, and they take, they take youth and they take, you know, uh, new thoughts. And, pro, you know, when I meet young actors like Varun, who played Mushy, you know, mm. some of the stuff that he came into the room with, I was like, wow, I remember that energy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. And I remember being that hungry. Um, so yeah, you know, and also more importantly, other people deserve that role now. That's course, why yeah. I want to create work 100%. to give people like me, myself, twenty years ago, the work that I wish was around then. Do you know what I mean? No, of so, course. So yeah, I would definitely want to direct it. Yeah, brilliant. It's, yeah, like it's, that's the one thing, and we speak about this with the music scene as well. You know, the whole passing the torch um, yeah. ethos and stuff, and how some people like to keep hold of that same because everyone's <laughs> playing drums. So Don't I know it, man? Don't yeah, I know? absolutely. And so it's like, yeah, you know, we want to keep hold of that torch for as long as we possibly can till we're on yeah. Zimmer frames potentially uh, before yeah. we decide to pass it, pass it on. Um, mm. But yeah, that sounds like a, an outstanding production. Um, you know, I can only imagine. Uh, all the number of people that would be involved in it. Yeah. Uh, if there's, um, Why can't we have uh, our version of In the Heights? Do you know what I mean? Which has oh, now just been turned into a film. Why yes. can't we have our own historical rap musical like Hamilton about the British Asian diaspora that came to this country in the 50s and 60s? You know, those are all stories that are there to be told. And exactly. people's experiences are parallel. I always say the, the destination is the same for everyone. No, of course. Of it's course. the journey that's different. Yes. Yes. And that's what makes each story individual is the journey. The destination is the same. We all die and end up in a coffin, bro. Do you know what I mean? Standard, yeah. It's how you get there is, is the interesting part. Yeah, yeah, whole, wholeheartedly. Um, and yeah, I'd like, I've all, I'm already looking forward to seeing this happen because, yes, obviously <laughs> it's an unlimited budget, but I know you guys have got, you know, a few more in your coffers to make this thing happen. So please... Yeah, make this happen. These things take partnerships, man. We have to talk to big music companies, and we have to talk to you know big big touring theatre companies that will come on and co-produce it with talk, us. Just talk to Rishi and talk to these guys. That's <laughs> all you need. You've got the history. It's true. On the I mean, phone, on your mobile device, you've got the history of British Asian music on there. 
Dude, so, me and Rishi talk about this stuff regularly, man. We talk about producing, you know, series together. We talk about putting on a musical together. We, you know, sometimes in, still in our day, I was with him last February in Bombay and we had drunken nights of just going, hmm. bruv, imagine if me and you made a musical, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, imagine if me and you, you know, put a film together about something and, you know, our experiences or whatever it is. We talk about it all the time. And one day it will happen. God willing, man, it will happen. No, absolutely. The, the stars will align. I'm sure they absolutely mm. will. Uh, so, all right. So we already mentioned this before earlier in the conversation that, you know, we're currently in the process of increased measures for COVID-19 now. Uh-huh. Um, so what impact has this had on Rifco Theatre and, and what does the future, as you see it, hold for the company as well? Yeah, I mean, you know, that's a that's a multi-pronged answer, really. I mean, the impact, firstly, has been huge. We were celebrating we were celebrating our 20th anniversary this year as a company. And for the first time we had programmed a full year's worth of material. Normally Rifko only put on one show a year, maybe a festival in the middle of that. Um, But this year from June onwards, we were due to start with this year's British Asian festival, which we do every two years. We had amazing stuff lined up for that. We were about to launch a brand new comedy sketch show, which we haven't, you know, we haven't had a comedy sketch show since goodness gracious me. It's been 20 years. Why not? Why are we not talking about stuff that we're going through today? Are we still laughing at the same stuff that they did? Have we got new stuff to look at? Do you know what I mean? So we've, we, we were going to launch that at the festival. We had two wicked artists lined up to exhibit their work in the foyer like we do every two years. Mm. We had amazing stuff for kids coming up. We had some new plays and new writing that we wanted to showcase you know, so that and that was going to be the beginning of a 12, 14 month journey that we've never done before. We we're going to do a 12 month program in, a, in an actual released brochure, a oh, digital wow. brochure, you know, uh, to celebrate our 20th anniversary. But all of that got put on hold, man, you know, and at the end of it, it was going to culminate with a huge new musical that I can't say too much about. But it's a massive musical that would have ended, you know, the middle of 2021. But mm. all of that. Some of it has been scrapped. Some of it's been postponed. Some of it's been turned. So the sketch show that I just talked about called Leave the Plastic On is now actually I'm shooting it in two weeks time. We're going to shoot it digitally instead and make viral sketches. Uh, We can't put it on stage right now because we don't know when we can get back on the stage or when audiences are going to be ready. You know, so we've, we've basically been kind of forced by a pandemic to start looking at how we produce work. We, uh, at the beginning of lockdown, produced our first set of digital artists. We'd never crossed paths with digital artists before. Mm. And we put a call out for digital artists to get in touch with us. And out of the, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 applications we got, we picked six of them and we got them to shoot their own experience, either as a film or as a comedy sketch or a monologue or a spoken word piece uh, to express their personal experiences of being in lockdown from a British Asian perspective. Oh, wow. You know, so we had comedy artists we had spoken word artists and that went out as a series called the dosi lockdown which again we'd never done before but it was hugely successful and we got nominated um from one of the arts council boards about theater companies that transferred to making digital so we've been nominated for an award for that congratulations yeah thank you very much and you know mushy got uh an acknowledgement from there's a there's a company called the office uh which is basically the the award ceremony for so the west end shows get their own award show and the shows that are not in the West End get their own uh, awards called the Offies, which means Off West End. Off West End, yeah. yeah. Excuse me. Um, and because they couldn't do it this year, they set up a, a commendation thing of theatre companies that created digital work. And we won the commendation for Mushy as Brilliant. a theatre company that diversified. You know, So, you know, look, yes, it's got in the way. Yes, it's fucked with things that we were supposed to do over the next 12 months. 
But like I said, right at the beginning of this conversation, that Prav has brilliantly run this company like a business. And we mm. were lucky enough to not have to furlough anyone, to not Good. have to lay anyone off. We were working all the way through the pandemic. We set up offices at home and we turned a lot of stuff into digital stuff. We've moved things into 2021 and 2022. Mm. The pandemic has forced us to think about different ways of making theatre now, not just in a sit down in a theatre and look at things directly. You know, we're talking about outdoor stuff. We're talking about immersive stuff. We're talking yeah. about, you know, and in a way it's really made us, you know, sit up out of our chair and go, fuck, now what? Yes. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, and, and, and that's been a positive thing really for us. Like, you know, obviously the pandemic has had a huge negative effect on people around the world. And, and mm. I'm not, you know, underestimating the, the, the kind of devastation it's caused but, you know, in some way or another, for some creative companies, it's been a real kick up the arse to go, listen, you need to start thinking outside of the box, literally, because a theatre can be seen as a box, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, uh, uh, and, you know, we've, we've been fortunate to think about our next three years without having to think about it, because we wouldn't have had to think about it until next year. Yeah. So we're, we're ahead of the game, man, which is good, you know. So, yeah, we've been affected, but we haven't let it beat us. No, that's, that's the mentality to have, really. Um, it's such a sink or swim time, unfortunately, at the moment, yeah. um, especially within the creative arts. And mm. if, you, if you take you know, that even further when talking about the South Asian community within the creative arts, that, that becomes even smaller. And so yeah. you know, to, to get through like, this period and to be able to plan and organize productions within the next couple of years you know, without mm. having to think about the financial setbacks, et cetera, that's happened with COVID um, is mm. only a great thing. And, and so, you know, in terms of everything you guys are doing at Rifco, it's amazing. Um, and we hope and we're looking forward to seeing much more productions, um, especially with, you know, I'm, I'm, with this podcast, all we speak about week in, week out is representation and, yeah. and things that are going to put across our community, you know, in a positive light rather than what we're seeing right now currently on our TV screens, you know, in cinemas within our communities and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'd always like to hope that, especially with Rifco, um, you're able to uphold that as much as routinely possible. You've done that in all your productions in the past. And I look forward to seeing that also encompassed in all the productions as well going forward. Thank um, you, man. Thank no, you. it's Thanks much love. No, it's much, much love. This is what we like to see. But we, we, I spoke to you about, you know, about stories and, and mm. finding compelling stories. How do people get involved, you know, with, with Rifko Theatre in terms of, you know, like we're looking for new writers, we're looking for new actors, we're looking for, you know, new people that can, that can help to change mindsets and, and introduce new stories within the British Asian community. What do uh, people need to do? Okay, so, so in terms of looking for new writers and new, new stories, what we do is every year around about January time, we open up a window for our Rifco Associates program, which basically champions six or seven uh, submissions out of however many we get to then put them on a 12-month kind of course or journey of giving them a toolkit in how to develop their idea, the initial idea that they submit, and yeah. turn that into uh, a well-rounded, finished product ready to be turned into a first draft of a play now we don't make false promises we don't say that you write your first draft by the end of the first year yeah, but what we do do is in that journey we set you up and give you the toolkit to be able to do that uh we have master classes with theater makers with dramaturgs with other writers we've just done a whole season of play brunch with a playwright so we put our associates and the public who are interested in front of four really really celebrated and successful british south asian playwrights uh we had vinay patel we had tanika gupta we had gupreet bhatti and we had Harvey Verdi uh, and we were doing one every two weeks, which we just finished last week as a season of it. Um, 
you know, we give them access to people that are already successfully doing what they do. Um, and then, and then we also do a showcase at the end of the year. So that's coming up in November where we invite an audience and other theater makers and buildings to come and watch a 15 minute extract of what they've developed in that year. Yeah. Um, and then other theater companies could be interested. Oh, we like that. Or we like him or her. Or they've got an interesting voice. We want to champion that and take that, that writer or that idea on. And it does happen. You know, last year's associates, two of them have now been commissioned by us to go on and, and write a first fully dra- drafted script of it awesome. with, the, with the aim to, to produce that script. We only commission if we're going to aim to produce it. Um, but the associates program doesn't just aim at creating work for us. What we do is we champion the writer. And if we feel like there's other theater companies or other buildings that their work would better suit, we then introduce them to those companies or those buildings. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So it's not just about finding work for Rifco. It's about giving platform to South Asian writers that don't have an avenue or pathway to do that. So that opens up every year out of those six or seven at the end of the first year, two of them get chosen to go on to become a year two associate in which we then begin to develop their draft into a written draft. And we look at which one or two of those uh, we, we would like to commission for ourselves, If any, you know, we don't make any promises. Um, but then we continue to kind of have a, a, a writing pool of a family of writing pools. Do you know what I mean? Mm, so, yeah. you know, if we go, oh, I remember that right a couple of years ago in associates, he or she had a great idea or maybe the idea wasn't so great, but they had a great knack to write dialogue or whatever. So then what we do is building a pool of writers. We can go, okay, you know, or another theater company might come to us and go, we've got this idea, but we don't know who the right writer is. We can go, well, we've got 50 of them for you to choose. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, of course. You know, and just put them in front of it. So that's the idea in terms of actors. We don't at the moment supply any kind of development process for actors because we only uh, employ actors for the work that we sure. do on stage yeah. through agents because we want to make sure that they've got some kind of um, uh, knowledge or awareness of, of theatre making and the process yeah, of and all that kind of stuff. We do take novices, people that have just come out of one thing that Rifco does really well is champion first time actors. You know, they've awesome. just come out of drama school, they've got an agent. So many actors that you see on your stages or on your TVs and films have had their first break with Rifco. Um, uh, and in terms of direct directors, I'm a prime example. I came through the Rifco Associates program as being a Rifco Associate for two years mm. under the kind of director program that Prav run. Uh, after which I was then kind of, you know, asked to interview for, for the position. So Sook Audula is one of our previous uh, Rifko Associates, writing associates, who Big she got sucks. commissioned to do. Yeah, she got commissioned to write her first play that she did called PR Actually, and now she's hugely successful comedian and and is writing loads of other stuff. You know, we've got two or three plays under commission that have come through our associates program. So that's the other division of the company that I look after. I look after the development side of it and looking for the new voices and new talent and the digital side. Yeah, well, no, that's this is this is what we want to see. You know, it's it's opportunity uh, is is the key thing, and and to yeah. inspire that next generation. Um, you know, because obviously within the creative world, you know, with we're, we're still we're always looking for new talent and and new people with new stories. You know, yeah. and I feel like you know with you know without kissing us, um, mm-hmm. Rifco is seems to be a great platform for for stories, new writers, um, and like I said, through Mushy. I got to see new actors I hadn't seen before as well at the same time, yeah. you know, so th- this is what we want to see, um, you know, and, and going forward, just want to wish Rifko uh, as much luck, success <laughs> as humanly possible. Um, and I know obviously with you behind it, that it's in really good and capable hands. No, uh, nah, much love, much appreciation to you. So obviously loads of people follow you anyway, but where can people find you online if they want to search for Amit Janna? 
Oh, me is just it's just me, A M W E T C H A N A. But more importantly, I'd much prefer if you guys follow Rifco Theatre. Yeah, it's course. at Rifco Theatre. Find out all the great stuff that we're doing. Get in touch with us if you've got the potential in you to write a play or you've always wanted to find out what the process is. You know, everyone's got one play in them. I think that I really do believe that or one book or one film or whatever, because yes. everyone's got a unique story to tell. You know, if you've been writing something for the last six months and then thought, oh, shit, I don't know what to do with this now. We're the place to come to. So, you know, get in touch at Rifco Theatre on all the socials. Our website is rifcotheatre.com. Sign up to the newsletter there on the homepage. Stay in touch with everything we're up to. We look for ambassadors all the time. Mm. Uh, we look for people to represent Rifco at our theatres when we take shows there as well. So you can work with us. Um, you can be a patron. You can be a donor. We are a registered charity. If you'd like to kind of help keep the arts alive and keep what we do uh, afloat, then you can donate monthly. You can do a one-off donation. You can do it anonymously. You can become, we've got a family and friends tier thing, which is a Dorst and we've got an anti G and we've got uh, a different mm -hmm. tier as well. Um, so, you know, it's, it's sometimes as minimum as five pounds a month, you know, so whatever it is, however you want to get involved with us or stay in touch at Rifco Theatre is across the board. Yeah, no, do help support uh, the creative arts, specifically within the theatrical world. Um, you know, we've got representation on television, but just as much in theatres. And so hopefully, fingers crossed, when this all finally subsides, make sure you go out and see your local theatre productions involving the British Asian community. There's some great productions out there. And, and take your kids, man. That's the most yes. important thing. The magic of theatre is irreplaceable. You can't find that magic anywhere else. It happens right in front of you. you yes. know? There's no questioning. And, and also, just to add to that, we get match funding as well. So for every pound that anybody donates, we get another pound back from the lottery as well. So £100 equals £100 as well from, from them. So every penny counts. And right now, the arts is in a real shithole, basically. Mm. And the government, although they've chucked a whole load of money, you know, nobody knows who's getting what of that right now. Yeah, um, and the regional theatre companies are the ones that are probably going to get a look in last. Um, because for some strange reason, they're going to give buildings to money to buildings that already have millions of pounds. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, that they generate even from just their bars and stuff. But hey, you know, just more importantly, just support the company. That's the most important thing. Exactly. Support and let's help to move things forward. Absolutely, for sure. Thank you so much, Amit, for joining us here today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. The pleasure was mine, man. Keep up the great work. It's amazing what you and Jojo do. And I do tune in every now and again. And I love the fact that you're championing uh, people that we identify with just to push us further as a community and as a, as a, as a, as a, as a kind of band, as a development project and i think it's amazing what you're doing so keep up the great work mate much appreciated a five is in the post for you for that right now <laughs> it's right. more than i get in the arts mate. <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah we're clapping <laughs> for pennies here too to be fair. <laughs> well that is it from this week's episode of the native immigrants we'll be back next week for more of the same i'm swami barakas she is jojo b wherever the fuck she is and we'll see you all then people peace Players.